Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Allie, are you ready for this week's episode? I am, but once again, I don't know what it is. And I'm kind of proud of that because I think it's a topic that you would never guess in a million years. Is it something that I would pick? Like, are you going Allie on an episode? Uh, Mildly. This is like a brisk walk in Allie's lane. Oh, okay. All right. Hit me. What is it? So this week, we are talking about hair archaeology. Hair archaeology. Okay. I didn't know that was a thing. Did you see that coming? No. I know. As with all of my topics, not all of them, but a fair amount recently, I learned about this on TikTok. (laughs) You are on TikTok so much. Not so much, but enough, enough to be exposed to. Hair archaeology. Yeah. Hair archaeology. It just kind of piqued my interest. We're not just staying in the hair archaeology field. We are just going to talk about kind of hairstyles, trends, a few fun facts in general about hair, but this spiraled from an interest in hair archaeology. I'm ready. I'm excited. This sounds really interesting. Let's do it. Okay. So I've got a couple different topics that we're going to cover, but I thought the best place to start was 30,000 years ago. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. So the oldest known depiction for hairstyling dates back 30,000 years. And that was the styling of hair braiding. So that's kind of the first depicted hairstyle outside of just kind of hair naturally falling in whatever texture it was found. Right. And then throughout history, as you know, and I'm sure everyone has seen kind of those quizzes that float around, styling became a sign of trends and a sign of your prestige and different classes and I don't know, coolness factors, for lack of a better term, (laughs) are kind of tied to hair trends. And I just think that that's such a cool concept that all the way back 30,000 years ago, braiding was part of this, but then it also started to indicate like royalty and fashion and all of the different influences, both for men and women's hairstyles. In history, women's hair was often elaborately and carefully dressed in special ways, you know, dating back to that 30,000 year mark. And it was very often kept covered for women for a very long time. So even if they were carefully dressing their hair, it was often covered. From like the Roman Empire until about the Middle Ages in terms of timeline, most women just grew their hair as long as it would naturally grow. So there wasn't a lot of like maintenance and control of it. But then uh, King Louis VIII of France kind of pioneered the male wig. And that's one of the first male hair fashions that was historically documented. So it says that mullets or periwigs for men were introduced into the English-speaking world with other French styles in the uh, 1660s. And in the 17th century, wigs were very long and wavy, but became shorter in the mid-18th century, which... At that time, they were typically white, so I feel like that's kind of like the quintessential styled male wig, like powdered wigs that you would think of from, like, uh, original, like, presidential days, I guess, is what I pictured in my head. Or, like, yeah, TV and movies, you see them all wearing the... There's even a SpongeBob episode that has one of those wigs in it. 
you are 100% right. Who saw SpongeBob popping up in our hair archaeology episode? But you are right. Yeah. So then really short hair became more fashionable for men, which was part of the neoclassical movement. And in the early 19th century, the male beard and mustaches and sideburns made a strong reappearance. So they had moments throughout history, but that's when they really became fashion trends or statements. So that's kind of the timeline for men's fashion. And King Louis VIII of France was the first to kind of pioneer men's hair fashion. But then when we look at women's hair fashion, in the 16th to the 19th century, European women's hair became more visible, so they had taken off the coverings. And in the middle of the 18th century, the poof style developed, which I love that phrasing. Ooh, poof style. Poof style, which just, I mean, it's like the very dramatic, like Marie Antoinette hair, which is what I pictured, right? Just like piles of hair on top of each other. Love it. Yes. Love it. With like things stuck in it. I don't know why, but that's just kind of always what I think of. And then during the First World War, women around the world started to shift to shorter hairstyles that were easier to manage for practical reasons. In their early 1950s, women's hair was generally curled and worn in a variety of styles and lengths. In the 1960s, women began to wear their hair in short, modern cuts, such as the pixie cut, which we will talk about. Um, And in the 70s, the hair trend was to be longer, looser, and straighter. All sounds familiar. All sounds familiar, right? So now you're starting to, like, conjure up all of these images of the hair trends, which we're going to talk about, like, the most popular trends and the most notable hairstyles. But in the 1960s and 70s, many men and women wore their hair very long, so that's really the point where men and women's styles converged. And in the uh, 1980s, women pulled back their hair with scrunchies <laughs> for punk hairstyles that were adopted by many people. Then we look at the 90s, which saw a lot of slicked back hair from like a modeling stage, but also like loose grunge styles. And then you have the 2000s, which was like braids and headbands and butterfly clips and all of the Oh my you know, gosh, the butterfly clips. The butterfly, which is so funny because I just think like a lot of this stuff has come around so many times, right? Like Pixie Cuts had kind of like a reinvention, long straight hair and big curled hair. All of it is cyclical a little bit, but it just oh, makes me sure. giggle because like butterfly clips are like quintessential to my childhood and they are back. I know, I know. I agree. It is very cyclical because I remember in high school, the super straight, super poker straight, flat ironed hair yes. was really popular. Obviously, middle school, the butterfly clips and, you know, you clip your hair into the rows, the butterfly yes. clips. And do you remember those headbands? I actually genuinely think I just sent you a Snapchat of that this weekend of like, they were like combs yes. and you would push them back into your hair. Yeah, to slide kind them of in like a like- headband, but they were all like. Yeah, the stretchy combs. Yes, and I, those were my torture because my hair has always been curly and so they would get knotted, especially like at the back of my neck. And I just remember being so jealous of all the girls with straight hair who could wear that and they would get like cute little parts where the combs went in and like a little bit of volume. And mine was like tangled up in a knot of curls and like I had to pull it out each night and I just wanted it to work so bad. Well, and... In middle school, I don't remember so much as in high school, you wore your hair so long. So long. And I even think, like, I'm sitting here with the tiniest little bun on my head, and this is the longest my hair has been in a while. But I wore that mess of curls in a bun or a ponytail every day, because what was I going to do with, like, a knot of curls? It was maybe not my best hair season. 
Well, you know what we needed was the whole TikTok trends on how you treat your curls properly. Like you didn't have any of that education to know how to amplify your look. No, honestly, the first time that I got Moose to actually work and my curls were defined, I was like a freaking one-way model. You could not have told me I didn't look good. Even with the crunch and the just straight up like constantly wet look, <laughs> it was the best thing. It was the best my hair had ever looked at that point in my life. Luckily, I think I have navigated it, but now I have thin hair and I wasted all that time with my beautiful, thick, gorgeous curls, sticking it in a bun and tangling random crap in it. Yeah. Well, I hope all the curly-haired young girls out there have access to all this curl education. Because I even remember it was hard for you to find a hairdresser because Mm -hmm. you needed someone who knew how to cut curly hair, which I would never in a million years think about. No, and it's life-changing. Honestly, Curly Girl Method and all of the different, right, like viral videos and YouTube and just products, like the actual products available for curly hair. And I realize now that I'm saying all of this, we are down quite a rabbit hole, but it's a very important rabbit hole for people with textured hair to just find what you're looking for of all varieties to find the products that suit you and find a hairdresser that knows what they're talking about. Cause it's a game changer. A hundred percent. A hundred And don't cut your hair at home cause it will go badly. Just as, just as a side note. Anyway. All right. Back to hair archaeology. Yes. Now we've learned a little bit about history, but let's dig into the actual archaeology part. The rabbit hole that I went down that got us to this topic was actually the discovery that up until 2008, so 14 years ago, we didn't actually know how ancient Roman women were doing all of these really elaborate hairstyles that you see in some of the sculptures and pictures and depiction, right? So if you imagine like that Marie Antoinette hairstyle, although not Roman, but like, you know, those big curls piled up stacks of these kind of elaborate braidings. No one really knew how they were doing that. And so it was assumed that it was wigs. So it wasn't until Janet Stevens came along in 2008 and established kind of this hair archaeology concept. She really was the first to pioneer identifying how different cultures and historical figures were able to achieve the looks that they were achieving and it wasn't actually wigs so it's cited that she first became interested in this work in 2001 when she visited the walters art museum in baltimore and she saw some of the statue busts from greek and roman collections and she had never seen the back of the roman statues before because they were usually placed on high pedestals and shelves and once she was able to circle the, the sculptures, she saw the logic of the hairstyles and determined how to try some at home. So she is a practicing hairdresser, hairstylist, beautician. I apologize. I don't know that I have the appropriate wording, but hairdresser. Right. It was actually found that many scholars believe that hairstyles were wigs, but Stevens did her own research. And in 2005, while studying the translations of Roman literature, she realized that the Latin term accus, A-C-U-S, has several meanings, including one that represents a single pronged hairpin or a needle and thread. So it was commonly being mistranslated as a single pronged hairpin, but in the context of ancient Roman hairdressing, it was actually a needle and thread. So Roman women were sewing their hair together. So they were braiding it and sewing it together to achieve these really voluminous looks. And she actually published the ancient Roman hairdressing on hairpins and needles 
which is her theory in 2008, which is the hair archaeology starting point from what I can find. That is so cool and makes so much sense. Yeah, I could totally see that you'd sew braids together, right? Essentially what we do with bobby pins and those other bobby pin-ish type things, right? Yeah. So she became the first person in 2013 to recreate the hairstyles of Roman Vestal virgins on a modern person. And she achieved that by sewing the braids and bits of hair together using a needle. And she actually was digging deeper into fashion, arts, and history books, looking for references on stitching. So she was the one that actually figured out that that mistranslation of the word accuse, A-C-U-S, I hope I'm saying that right, probably not, I should have looked that up, um, had several meanings and they were misrepresenting it. It actually represented a needle and thread. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So she was able to do all of that and I just found it fascinating. So she really is the most notable hair archaeologist. There's a lot of other people that are looking into the study of hairstyles and how they're influenced and represent different class of individuals but she's really the one that took it to kind of a deconstruction layer and figured out how they were achievable in times before bobby pins because bobby pins were not invented until 1899 so a big gap wow yeah you know yeah. it also made me think of when you said that was do you remember a couple of christmases ago you bought me some french pins yeah yeah, like sometimes I use those to make my buns and I like to have them stick out so it looks fun when I'm being too lazy to do my hair. But yeah, it just made me think of those. Like a French pin, if you don't know what it is, it's like a giant bobby pin, like almost the size of like a pen. And, it, you know, a big like flat U shape. They're very handy. I bought some for myself after that. Now that we've dug into hair archaeology, I also pulled a little quiz that I want to do with you, as well as some of the most famous hairstyles. So we're going to do a game and a quiz this oh. time. Oh, okay. Let's do it. We're putting you on the spot. So our first game is I'm going to say someone's name, and you're going to tell me what you associate with them in terms of hairstyle. And we're going to see if they're as notable as the interweb says they are. Okay. Okay. So our first one up is Albert Einstein. Oh, just sticky out, messy white hair. Yes. All right. Princess Leia. Big Cinnabons on our ears. Farrah Fawcett. Big, like, swept back giant curls curling away from her face. Isn't that crazy that you can just associate? Okay, I've got a few more. Billy Ray Cyrus. Mullet. Mullet. So I actually was doing some digging, and he is actually kind of um, noted as like the most notable mullet in history. <laughs> Him and it. Joe Dirt. I, yeah. Yeah, right? Okay, so a couple harder ones. Andy Warhol. White hair, but I'm having a hard time. I just like, I feel like big glasses, white hair. Yeah, so he had kind of like a short bob, uh, not bob, what do you want to call it? Like bowl cut-esque, but a kind of a silver wig is what he's most notable for. So white, silver, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mia Farrow. Oh, the short little pixie cut like in that she gets like in Rosemary's Baby. Yes. What about Angela Davis? Uh, big? Big. Big Afro. I know, it took me a second and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to place who she is. <laughs> yes. Okay. What about Cleopatra? Kind of like the blunt bangs, 
And then it's like straight down and then blunt across her shoulders, dark, dark. And then yeah. usually some bejeweled something on it. Yes, good job. I was going to say all she also had gilded braids is what they called them. But lit, yes, bejeweled braids. Um, Elvis? Oh, the slick back with the little curl loop in the front. Yep. All right, two more. Let's do Queen Elizabeth. Is that just like big, poofy? But what was notable? What color was her hair? White? Red. Red. Okay. Yeah. No, didn't get it right. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Rachel Green. Oh, yeah. The Rachel cut. Kind of like (laughs) the shaggy. Not like a shag cut, but layered around her shoulders. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. So it amazed me while I was doing some of this research on how notable different characters have been in popularizing hairstyles, right? So like Farrah Fawcett is like quintessential, like you were talking about that big feathered look, that glamorous kind of blown out. And it was just amazing to me that like trends followed these immersions of styles and you can actually picture in your head most of these individuals. I mean, you have to know who they are, right? Like Queen Elizabeth is kind of hard to put your finger on. And also there were multiple. So I guess that was a trick question, but Right, like the Rachel is a yeah. very like pop culture hair reference. For you know sure. what would be another one is the Bieber. Like when he first came out, that like bangs swept across your face that all the boys were doing. Oh my gosh, you're right. You know, now that I think about it, I don't really have anyone from like, I guess the Rachel would have been like the 90s, but nothing from like 2000s up. Yeah, I mean the Bieber, all the boys with all that hair in their face constantly, like stop touching your hair. Yes. I also thought they like they had Dolly Parton on the list. They had Princess Diana, which was very true. Like you can picture kind of the quintessential, even though Dolly Parton's had a million hairstyles or Princess Diana had a lot. You can picture the exact one that they're probably most notable for. Yeah, like their iconic one. Yeah. My also one of my other favorites was I think they had noted the Beatles and they called them mop tops. And I had never heard that before as a style. Yeah, I mean, because someone says, oh, yeah, they had like a Beatles cut. I can picture what that is. But yeah, I guess I never knew what else it was called. Right. And then I just think like, I don't think my hair has ever had a style, right? Like we just talked like it was just lumps of curls or in a bun or whatever. But I remember you having like the middle part and the straight straight. But I don't think either of us ever had trendy cuts. No, I, I mean, I. Grew out my bangs at one point was probably the most trendy I was not to have bangs anymore. But yeah, high school was the middle part, the straight, straight. And then for a while after that, it was, you know, curled it with a curling iron curls all the time. And then the side part. I still side part. I will I never still side part. side part. No, I don't look good with the middle part. And I think everyone should just wear their hair, whatever suits their face. Yes. As a person with a crooked face, a middle part only accentuates that. We don't need help. Yeah, we don't need to see how unsymmetrical you are. We don't. That would be the worst. Also, I completely forgot about your growing out your bangs phase, and now I can very clearly picture that phase because they were straight, and you had the middle part, but then you would remember you would wear it like in a ponytail or something, so the bangs would hang straight to the side of your (laughs) face. I'm going to have to see if I can dig out some of those photos and share them. I'm sure that hairy archaeologists in the future will be like, what in the world were they doing? Yes. Or remember I'd have mom like, not braids, but almost like 
you know, do that thing where it almost looked like a net to like get the bangs out of my yes, out face, of face, and then I wear like the back straight. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. If only headbands were as popular then as they were now, I could have just thrown a headband on every day. So I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. I wore hair ribbons for like most of high school, at least my junior and senior year. Yes, because anytime that we had anything, a gift that came with a satin ribbon, you like hoarded it. Yeah, because I needed all the colors to match my outfits. I had the most amount of red ribbons ever because it was one of our school colors. And I just remember every sweatshirt I wore, I'd wore a hoodie. And then I was like, oh, this ribbon will fancy it up. And I would tie a ribbon around my mop of a bun, especially being a swimmer. My hair was so, so dry in high school. And so I just tie a ribbon around it. And then I think, where did all of those ribbons go? And how long did I do that? I think I did that into college. Like I remember having ribbons in my ponytail in college and like that was probably not needed. Well, and, you know, kind of recently, all those giant, big JoJo Siwa bows are so popular. You are right. Okay, well, then it wasn't just us. We're all going to have these phases, aren't we? And we're just going to, we're going to cycle through. For sure. I guarantee you that the Gen Zers, though, are not cutting their nylons and wearing them around their neck as triggers, though. Probably not. (laughs) No. But that was quintessential alley too. Why I mean, I had some. did nobody tell us how fat it made our necks look? I think at some point we thought this harsh black line across our neck was like making our eyes pop. I don't know. I don't remember the logic. I just remember being there and needing more of them. I also just think not a lot of people can pull off a true choker necklace. No. Like you need a real long like slender neck and, you know, collarbone frame to pull that off. I think chokers... Like, even now, you know, I know some chokers, like, you know, are still pretty fashionable. And I just don't think, I think my neck's just not made for them. Maybe it's just our genetics. Because I also think that my neck is too wide. But I'm sure many people would be like, why not? Just wear them. And I'd be like, because it looks like I'm cutting my neck in half and strangling myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So if you can wear a choker, basically, I'm just jealous. That's all I'm saying. Super jealous. Oh. This also always makes me think of that story where the lady's head is tied on with the green ribbon. Yes. Yes. Was it Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? It's one of those ones? Yeah. 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 Spoiler alert. If you don't know the end of that story, pause now. Skip ahead a bit. Her head falls off. Yeah. When you take the ribbon off, her head falls off. She like gets married and does all these things and then head falls off. Untied ribbon. Oh, yeah. She basically like... Tells her husband, don't ever take my ribbon off. And then, like, on her deathbed, she's like, okay, you can take it off. And then her head falls off. Were we never concerned on how we were cleaning under the ribbon? Like, do we think showering? I think that's the least of her worries. Because if it's literally a ribbon keeping her head on her body, I mean, how are her nerve endings transmitting signals from her brain to the rest of her body? They're obviously not connected. You're right. I'm worried about the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we have gotten really far away from hair. Let's circle back. Well, not really far away, just down to the neck. Anyway, (laughs) going back up to the top of our hair follicles, let's talk some hair trivia. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, how many strands of hair does an average person have? Have? Yes. 200,000. Oh, Al, not bad. 100,000 to 150,000. Oh, that was so close. Okay. That was so close. I would have guessed a million, so it would have been way off. 
Okay. Uh, on average, how many strands of hair do you shed a day? Uh, a hundred. Oh my gosh, Ellie. 50 to 150. Wow. Okay. You are a hair expert. Okay. Hair is the second fastest growing tissue in the body after what? Skin? Bone marrow. Bone marrow. Oh, I would have said nails maybe next. I would not have guessed bone marrow. Me neither. I also didn't know that bone marrow qualified as a tissue, but it was cited on this list. A healthy strand of hair can stretch an additional blank percent when wet. An additional 100%? Like it can double in size? 30%. Oh, okay. Well, hair's... I say I'm giving it too much credit. Too much credit. When does new hair begin to grow after being plucked from a follicle? After. So if you like pluck a hair, when does so the new one... So if you pluck it, when does the new one start to grow? Well, I feel like I remember that hair grows almost like cyclically and not every follicle is constantly growing. They're like, take turns. So I don't know, a week? No, it grows immediately. But to your point... I'm just going to read you the next question with the answer in it because it is literally what your point. So at different times, 90% of your hair is growing while the other 10% is resting. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was something like it wasn't all constantly growing. Okay. Okay. Yes. So you're right. But that was my next question. So we won't ask that one. Okay. Okay. A single hair has a lifespan of how many years? I feel like that one really depends on genetics. But, um... I don't know, one year? So according to this, five years. But I would also agree with you that it's probably more genetic-based. Yeah. Because just like how some people can grow hair to the floor and mine won't grow past my bra strap. It's just genetics. Correct. Our last question is, similar to horses' hooves, mane, and tail, hair is made up of mostly blank, which is the same substance that makes up those other items. Keratin. Good job. Honestly, Al, you get 50% on that quiz. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent job. Excellent job. That is all my fun hair facts for today. I definitely think we could die into more like die into. (laughs) Dive into more things like hair dye and cutting and different techniques and stuff like that. But I tried to just keep it into the styling range and then a few fun facts at the end. But it was definitely an interesting topic to learn about as a person who's Uh, struggled to learn to love her hair throughout time, but also just the impact of how hair archaeology formed and what we can learn from it. So I hope you enjoyed my topic today. Yeah, it was very interesting. Thank you. And everyone do with that what you will. Thanks for letting us talk at you. If you have any suggestions for topics, comments, corrections, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Facebook, our Instagram, and our website. You can find us there. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 